Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Good morning, everybody. I see we've got friends with us already this morning. MJ and Carolyn, Michelle, Don, Robert, and Lindsay. Ari is here as well. Welcome, everybody, to Morning Walk and Talk. I hope you had a fantastic weekend and uh, that you got a little bit of rest and relaxation and you are ready to come back this Monday morning, do a little bit more uh, introspection and some self-work. And I'm actually pretty excited about what we're going to be tackling for the rest of this month. Um, I'm including December (laughs) when I say this month because it's a Monday and who wants to end the month like midweek? So we're actually going to be really diving into the business side of art this month. So for the next month, we're going to be talking about building our businesses and, and not only the practical aspects of that, but the philosophical aspects of that as well, making sure that what we build is truly in alignment with the kind of life that we want to live. Um, And I think often, when we're using the examples of what other people do to grow their businesses and the success that they find, and we start to take those and implement them for ourselves, we do so with the hope that they will bring us success and not necessarily with the hope that they will bring us a day-to-day life that we can really enjoy and and feel fulfilled for having lived. So we're going to look at the philosophical side of that, um, how we look at how we build those businesses so that not only are they successful, but also they're fulfilling to partake in. But then we'll also look at a lot of the practical aspects of business. Um, That way, when we start this new year as artists and business people, we can maybe take a look at what we've built, see if we need to do any restructuring um, to make things either more profitable or more enjoyable or a better experience for our customer or alter things if we need to, to change the build of what we've got so that it's more in alignment with the kind of life that we want to live and who we see ourselves as, as business people. So we'll be doing that as well. And I think probably the best place for us to begin is to talk about money. And I know that seems like an interesting place to start, but when we've got a lot of money blocks going on or other issues around money that make it difficult for us to accept, to ask for, even to grow or to, um, to accept wealth, it can be really, really hard to run a successful business because it's based around money. <laughs> a business doesn't exist if there's not transactions happening there. So today's conversation and probably tomorrow as well, we're going to be talking about money. We're going to be talking about how we accept it, what we have to look at within ourselves to see if we have these blocks that are stopping us from feeling comfortable selling or making these business transactions or even growing our business to the point where it is the kind of business that can sustain us long term and make our life a better life to live. So that's gonna be the conversation for the next few days, and then we will launch into the rest of business. And before we get started, just want to let everybody know, we finally have finished our Cyber Monday release um, for the Artist Forge. I've been talking during the last week about the fact that the amazing mentors here at the Artist Forge have gotten together and offered to do mentor sessions for our folks, our Artist Forge people, um, at a significantly discounted rate for what they generally offer um, through their own services. And also that all of them have agreed to donate what they make to the Artist Forge coffers so we can start building up more resources for our community. Um, So if you head to theartistforge.com, which I'm gonna add up to the link section today, Um, If you head there, you will see that there are five mentor sessions per 
founder of the Artist Forge. And so each of us are kind of tackling different topics from business to audio video stuff to production and storytelling. So you can go have a look if you've been wanting to get a chance to speak alone with some of our mentors just to, to grow and work on those areas. Um, this is your chance. There are only five per mentor because obviously with everybody donating these services, we have to make sure we respect their time. So it is open. You can go have a look. Um, and hopefully if that's something you want to do, you'll get it on that and take advantage. All right, y'all. So let's begin what we're looking at today. Money. How do we deal with it? Why is it such a hard subject to talk about? Why do we have so many hurdles when it comes to asking for money for our services? How much is the right amount of money? How much is too much? When are we being greedy? Is there such a thing as, as being paid too much money for your services? Um, there's so much to talk about here. And it's such an integral part of our experience in the society that we live in needing it to pay our bills and to put food in our mouths and to enjoy any of the extracurricular things that we like. It can be such a big topic to tackle. And I know that we have some folks in this group that are already really deep thinkers about how we deal with money, particularly as business people. So I'm definitely going to be leaning on them to help drive this conversation today. Um, but I want to begin just by defining the problem. So for my mods this morning, what do you think it is about money that makes it so difficult for us to quantify how we feel about it and how we deal with it? And particularly, it seems difficult for us as artists um, with a level that doesn't seem to apply to other types of business where it seems like the rates can be much easier to set and accept, but us as artists, it seems to have a whole other layer of complexity and difficulty with how we deal with money. Um, and it makes it difficult for us to be really kind of strong, confident business people who are earning enough that we are living a life that is comfortable and happy. So why do you think that is? Why is it such a struggle to deal with money, guys? Because typically with artists, especially, um, we have a tendency to attach our own personal worth to the value that we're placing on our work, as opposed to treating the value of our work as separate from ourselves. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Um, at least in my experience, particularly when I was beginning, I know that that was an accidental correlation that was made. And what I mean by that is, um, as we're becoming business people, um, a lot of the advice that we get is well-meaning, but I think phrased wrongly that kind of reinforces this idea that our worth is tied to our art. And it's that whole charge what you're worth. And then, of course... <laughs> that obviously makes that correlation. It kind of reinforces that idea. But then also as artists, being able to create such a big part of that comes from these internal places um, that doesn't seem to be there always in other forms of work. Um, when I was, you know, when I was in the military as a medic, um, I did not necessarily have to <laughs> look inward and deal with my internal issues in order to treat a wound. <laughs> um, I knew what steps needed to be taken. And of course there's empathy there for the person that you're treating, but uh, that's a whole different experience. So certainly there's something there in being an artist and the connection that we have to our work that makes the idea of, of taking money for it and the way that those values are tied together really difficult. So I think that's definitely one of those issues that we deal with. Um, anybody else have any insight into why money is such a tricky place for us to deal as artists and business? Well, I, I think uh, along, along the line of what Kat said, that flipping it around, uh, I think that what's difficult is the fact that we need to look at it from the 
the, when you talk about the value of what we do, we need to look at it from the client's point of view. And that's difficult to do because not everybody values things in the same way. So when you break down the services that we offer and the value that we add, uh, you know, you, you can easily say, like uh, I think Carol was saying last week, well, my friends and family find it too expensive, right? But those are not your ideal client. But but even finding the ideal client, there's there's different value types that you offer that may or may not be attractive to different clients. And how do you find that combination of services or value that you offer, but also be able to identify clients that would appreciate it. So so we kind of get stuck in that. I understand my value. I can see how other people can value it. But how I how do I put it all in an equation where I actually find those people? And we kind of tend to drift back to the people around us and people we know and assume that they're going to value what we do. I don't know if, if I'm making any sense. It's just kind of a circle of 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 trying to find the right equation between how I value myself, what value is to my clients, and where do I find my clients. And when we don't complete that equation, we're kind of going around in circles. Does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like kind of the beginning part of that is whatever attitudes not only we grew up with, um, you know, the environment that we grew up in and what those attitudes were about money, but then also our, our friends and family, our social circles, and how they view money and what their kind of relative amount of wealth is, colors our perception of how much other people have or how they value money and how they're willing to spend it. Um, and I know certainly for me growing up, um, we did not have very much money. And so the attitude generally was only get what you can afford, even if it's, you know, a broken kind of a thing or you're getting it from Goodwill or it's just really cheap and it was going to break 8 million times, but still my parents could never justify spending that additional amount on something that was quality simply because either it would be taking from something else or it just seemed like a waste when you could get something that was good enough now for cheaper. And that was a really difficult habit for me to break growing up. Once I started having my own money and spending it, it was really difficult to convince myself that certain things were worth that extra price tag for the quality and the longevity. And so those opinions and those beliefs really colored the way that I um, approached money and dealt with money for a long time. So we have kind of the, the biases, the beliefs that we grew up around, and then we have our social circles. And the people that we know obviously greatly influence how we see money, its value, and what it can be spent on. And if our friends and family are all within a certain demographic where money is concerned, the idea that we could potentially be asking for more than that or with, that we could be looking at a different demographic based on how much they earn or their value as our ideal customer makes it difficult to believe that that's possible because nobody that we know um, behaves that way with money. So we have kind of those two things beginning to hold us back. And then the hurdle comes in the fact that we don't know then how to make those practical decisions that will bring us out of that spot so that we can find those ideal clients who value what we do in a way that allows us to live um, a life that we're where we're comfortable and we have a business that's prospering. So does that seem like it kind of fits in with what you well, well yes yeah, the difficulty we have in stepping out of that that uh, that that life or sorry that how how we've grown up and how we've how you know our beliefs and our, and how we see things and being able to step out of it and see it from a different perspective and we tend to have misconceptions and assumptions about you know who values our our our, our services you know when when somebody says well, I need to find rich people because they can afford my services. Well, you know, most rich people may not value what you what you sell. So it, it's it's about it's about looking at our assumptions and saying, are we approaching this in the proper way? Are we making assumptions that they may not be may not be true? How how do we open up our mind to 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 you know what is value and and you know. How, 
who values what and why, what kind of individual, what behaviors, what mindsets do they need to have as, as, as potential clients for, do they have as potential clients that would value? So it's really stepping out of those and how to, how to take that, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that's, I guess, step is the difficult part. I mean, what we're describing is absolutely true, but unless you step out of it, it's hard to find your, your way. Right? Yeah, and for sure. We'll get, to this, we'll, we'll get to talk about how to step out of that and how to see things differently. We absolutely will. Yep, 100%. And I think it's interesting, too, that you mentioned the fact that oftentimes we will make the assumption that because somebody has the money, they must naturally be the person that we want to target because they're the ones who have that discretional income or whatever, you know, they just, the money's there, so then they could potentially use it. But that's no guarantor that that person values what we do in a way that would allow them to spend that kind of money, which is why those assumptions can be so dangerous. Um, I have worked with people who were not in high income brackets, but valued the service and the product so much that they were willing to spend far more than what I would have made the assumption um, you know, willing to go on a payment plan or whatever to really invest in these in the products that they thought were worthwhile, not because they had a whole lot of discretionary income, but because they just believed it was worth it. So those assumptions can really kill our profitability, can really just continue to play into those unhealthy mindsets around money, around value, and around who is willing to use money for what. Um, so we've covered a lot of ground already, kind of starting to define this problem about how we look at money and how we deal with it. And I want to add to that, that we really don't get a lot of education about money. I didn't realize until I was an adult that so many of the things I thought and believed about not, you know, my biases or, or my beliefs about money itself and what kind of person it made you to have or not have money but actually my understanding of money itself, like the economic value of money and how it is used, that was not the kind of education we ever got. I never in fact heard anybody say that debt was a good thing until I was listening to really extremely rich people talk about using debt in order to acquire physical assets that would continue to gain value. Um, there's just, there's so much there that we don't, get is not part of our education. And so learning, um, learning those things, you never learn, at least we didn't in high school, what capital gains were like, there's just so much education around money that we don't have. It can really feel like we are trying to tackle calculus with, you know, third grade math skills. So, I mean, even that can become a really huge issue when we start looking at all of the different aspects that go into running a business, like how much we actually can pay ourselves from what our business income is and how much we have to set aside for our taxes. And do we back tax or do we tax up front? Like there's all of these other questions that we have to answer that can make dealing the practical aspects of dealing with money really difficult. But before we start getting into actually tackling some of these issues, I want to make sure that we are getting as much of the problem out in the open as possible. So are there any other issues you think that we deal with around money, any other blocks we might have that we should make sure we identify before we start talking about some of the ways that we can overcome them? Hey, Nicole, sorry, I just want to follow up my, uh, uh, b before we go on, just a quick example. Uh, we were talking about our assumptions. I, uh, just as a practical uh, uh, example, this past week I had three consultations for boudoir photo shoots. Uh, I booked two of the three. Uh, I had one who was a, a uh, administrative assistant in a small company. I had one, one woman who is a, uh, a daycare worker. And I had another one who's a senior director in a multinational uh, running procurement organization. Okay. And guess which two I booked. I booked the secretary and the, um, the daycare worker. And the other one found me too expensive. So just to give you an example of, of what we were talking about earlier, I'll show.
No, that's a great example, Bassam. And I think, you know, if you were to throw those out with no other qualifications, you know, most people would would look at how much you charge and make the assumption, well, it must be, you know, the person in the higher tax bracket that probably is going to pay when that's not the case. Sometimes the value just isn't there depending on how we feel about money. So really important for us to recognize. All right, guys, we've defined quite a few things. I got one. Uh, I, th- I think Kat and Basson brought up excellent points and um, just kind of going off that assumption and friends and family topic a little bit. Um, I think starting small can cause a lot of later problems as our business grows. And I know this was a problem for me um, when I, I think my very first photo sessions when I was maybe like 16 years old, um, I charged the whole $75. And I thought that was a lot of money because, you know, in my tiny sphere of experience, that was a lot of money kind of. Um, And that made it so much harder to raise my prices. And I've seen this struggle repeatedly with other artists, um, especially with photographers, but illustrators, everyone too, where you start at this small price because you attach your own value to that and you worry that people aren't going to want to buy it or they're not going to like you if you tell them a higher price or you think that it's not worth more. And then when it comes to the point where you need to be charging more, it becomes so much harder because you've created these expectations for yourself and for the people who are already working with you. Uh, So I think now with much more experience, like I think everyone needs to do a lot more research into their market and start a lot higher than where most of us actually do start our pricing. Oof. Yeah. You just, you just mentioned what kind of we're really going to be looking at when we start to get into the practical aspect of this, because that is one of the hardest struggles um, and causes, I think it really makes your growth become not stagnant, but it definitely hampers your growth as a business person when you have to account for slowly making these changes so that you don't lose your current clients um, and lose all of your income before you're able to charge more. So I think you're right, which is why it's so important for us to tackle these questions right now before we get into that. Um, So, all right. We've looked at several different issues that we face as artists and business people when it comes to trying to make a living off of our art, trying to turn our work into a business that can sustain us and help us grow. And it begins, of course, with our biases and our beliefs about art, or sorry, about money, which is where we're going to start today. So we are going to begin this conversation about money with really trying to expose some of the unhealthy beliefs that we have. And hopefully those of us who are up on the panel today will share some of the beliefs that you have um, if you're in the audience. And for those of us who are live today, if you happen to have a belief or a bias or a block around money that doesn't get mentioned, but you feel like it's important enough to share, make sure that you raise your hand because the more we can expose these things, And the more people can kind of hear the fact that number one, they're not alone, number two, that other people have had these issues and overcome them, then the better and the healthier our industry is going to be overall. So I will start, I'm hoping the other moderators will share theirs as well, um, with exposing some of the beliefs that I grew up with around money. But one of them was, if you were rich, or if you had a lot of money, you must be a bad person. Like you must be selfish, you must be greedy because you had money that the rest of us just couldn't get our hands on even though we worked really hard and you could do things like take vacations while everybody else was just trying to feed themselves or pay their rent. And so you probably like stepped on people on your way to the top. You probably, you know, spent your money in places that were ludicrous and we could not justify you being a good person if you had a lot of money. And unfortunately, this was really prominent in the circles that I grew up in and the people that I grew up around. It was not the kind of thing that everybody always talked about openly. It was one of those weird kind of subliminal, just below the surface assumptions that everybody had. And you could really see it manifested in the way that people behaved and the way that we talked about people like, you know, oh, that's only for rich people, or they would have things and we would hate on them for it. Um, We made the assumption that the kids at school who got great things because their parents had money were probably jerks, like they were probably, 
brats or whatever and they were spoiled like all of these assumptions that we had about people who had money that just manifested in the way that everyone behaved it was almost like we all agreed on it even though we never openly said hey guys i believe rich people are probably bad people it just everybody just thought that so that was one of the unhealthy beliefs that i grew up with and if i as a kid looked at my kids um now i probably would think the same thing about them i probably would look at them and think they have these things or you know i remember when i was in middle school it was a jansport backpack like that was the cool backpack that everybody had and uh those of us who didn't and we had like knockoff brands from <laughs> from some craft store and we we've always i felt that i felt like when i was walking through the halls i felt like it was a weird scarlet letter that i was carrying around that was telling everybody that i was poor and um just those experiences of those things get carried with you and it's not until something exposes that as a lie that you can actually deal with that thought head on and recognize the fact that the things that you kind of inherently believed weren't necessarily true they were just the common experience and a way to justify the fact that we weren't in a place to have those things so for me that was the big block the big hurdle people who have money must be bad that was one of the things that i grew up with what about you guys were there anything that any kind of money blocks or attitudes about money that you grew up around that colored the way that you thought about money that then made it difficult to be able to ask for or charge the right prices as you started moving into I kind of had a weird meeting of worlds uh, in, in my growing up with money. Um, both my parents were artists. They still are artists. Um, my dad worked in movie studios and my mom uh, played, you know, bar gigs for 50 bucks, a couple hundred bucks. And um, I just, I, I feel like it, it gave me this kind of weird concept of my, from my mom, especially about like what to charge and um, also how to spend my money. And one thing like when creating my own price, because my, my dad, I guess I didn't really have any understanding um, of his finances until I was much older. I had no idea um, if we had money. Uh, we did, but I didn't realize that till later. But my mom, my mom has always, you know, not had very much. And um, so it was always like garage sales and thrift stores and getting really excited about certain deals and she was very open about talking about not being able to afford things when she couldn't um and so how i shop still i still get really excited about finding a really good deal and i do a lot of research and try to find the best price on things um and then i've taken that into pricing myself and considering how other people behave about money and i always kind of assume that everyone did that same thing uh which is not true and when then defining, you know, how I was going to price myself, not realizing that, that there were people that spent money differently, that not everyone was going to be that super bargain hunter. And I needed to appeal to those bargain hunters. Um, took me a long time to figure that out because that was how I was raised. And that's, you know, still how I behave about certain things. But now that I'm in a financial position myself where I can not always do the bargain hunting, where I can be comfortable spending more money and not worry about it. It's, it's taught me that other people actually do that too. And maybe I need to be looking for those people instead of that race to the bottom and trying to find the cheapest price. Ooh, Becca, that's a big one. And I think, you know, what you're saying about making this assumption that because that's the way that you spent money, that must be the way that everybody spends their money. Um, that is a really big one that I think is difficult for us to get over because those ideas are outside of our experience. And so it's difficult for us to put ourselves into a place that we have no, there are no markers and there's no compass for us to understand what it looks like to stand in that place until we can be there. And so for those of us who are using our businesses, I mean, we're trying to bring ourselves up in the world, right? We're trying to kind of raise our level of income and the quality of our life. It can be really difficult to step up into a space where people spend money differently than you spend money. 
if you've never experienced it before. So I think that's probably going to be a really big one for us to tackle as we have these conversations so we can figure out how do we have to change the way that we think or what experiences do we need to have in order to help us justify that in our head? Because for many of us, it won't be, it won't be, well, now I can spend money that way. So I understand that other people do for many of us, as we're trying to get there, it's, it's going to probably require something different of us in order for us to really stand and being able to charge that amount of money or to price ourselves in a way that allows us to get there. So that's going to be a really interesting conversation to have, I think. And hopefully we can also draw a lot on the audience and what their experiences have been um, as business people. So um, Kat Bassam, do you all have any blocks or any kind of biases or things you grew up with around money that you are willing Sorry, go ahead, Basam. Oh no, just just very quickly. In in my case, the what I grew up with is uh, really conservative parents in terms of everything. When I say conservative, uh, meaning non non risk takers. Uh, so that's how I grew up, and I think it influenced uh, my view on, you know, how I define success. You know, the thing of like think big versus think smallish. I kind of tend to be also conservative and, and non-risk taking and, and think smaller than I should be. Whereas I know full well that fundamentals are the same. It's just a matter of mindset in terms of think big versus think small. So it's really growing up in that, in that, you know, low risk approach to everything and, you know, not push the envelope, not, not, not step out, uh, really influenced how I see growth and how, how I see, therefore how I see money. I think the, I, I love that you brought up like what you learned from your parents in that like conservative aspect and risk taking is something that, that we all go through. Uh, and there, there's, <laughs> there's so much I could say about this. Um, one, there is like with my parents specifically, my mom grew up very, very poor. My dad did not. My dad came up in an upper middle class uh, family. Uh, and they, you know, my grandfather, he worked, but it was very like, okay, you know, there's enough money to move around. But my grandmother, you know, she was very frugal. And being passed down, like, you don't even really know what it is that you know until you realize what it is. Uh, my parents had a really severe argument when I was a kid. And I think I've even talked about that in this room before, but my dad was really upset with my mom because there was a check missing from the checkbook and I had taken it. I was maybe eight or nine years old and I had taken it because I assumed that checks equal money and I wanted to know what that was. So I'd stolen this check and I'd hidden it in my room and was like, Ooh, now I have money. And it caused like World War III in my house. And my mom came up, you know, upstairs and she was begging me like, Catherine, please. And my dad was furious, assumed that my mom had gone on some spending spree. And like, it was just this big knockdown drag out thing. And as an eight or nine year old kid, what I learned from that experience at the time was that when you have money, you're mean to the people that you love. Well, the reality of that was, no, my dad was pissed, made assumptions about what my mom may or may not have done with the check, which equaled money. And they were having an argument about it. And she was begging me to come clean, which I never did. And like, that was the very first rule of money that I learned as a child that I took into my adult life. Now, move fast forward to when I was 18 and getting kicked out of my house. And I was like, I don't want your fucking money. Keep your money. I'm going to, you know, bring myself up to success and become wealthy and la 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 all on my own. Because the other thing that is typically taught, like throughout media and movies and all the things, is there's a nobility to rags to riches stories. There's a nobility to finding your way from a space of not having had anything to having more. 
And so the general assumption that's made in media is, well, you might not have anything today, but you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and one day you will have something. What they don't teach you is, you know, how to keep it, how to invest with it, how to do all of the things so that you maintain that success. Because the only nobility there is, is in not having anything and still being able to provide and live a whole life. Uh, and so wrapping your head around how that isn't true, right? And being able to build a business around bringing value to the world and then receiving money for it is really where that you sort of start disconnecting all of those old beliefs. But when you're starting a business, how many of us have started a business? Like Becca, you said 75. I think the first time I was paid was for $50. And I was like, oh, somebody will pay me money for this. Like realizing that when you're starting the business, it's, well, this is a lot of money to me. So it must mean that it's a lot of money to other people. And the largest sea of people that are shopping are people that are looking for those really great deals instead of trying to align yourself straight out of the gate with the people who are valuing what you do, whether that is selling status or experience or, you know, insert thing here. And then once you find the alignment with that, do you start to see that just because you put a price tag on something at $200 does not mean that it's going to be valued in the same way by people who have a lot of money or don't. Does that, does that make sense? I know I, I sort of went off on a bit of a tangent. No, absolutely. It, it completely makes sense. And I think, you know, understanding your experience as a kid and how that colored your beliefs about money and then, knowing like you now as a badass business lady um, and, and how the kind of work that you've had to do to get to that place and the recognition of the fact that just because something is $200 does not mean $200 across the board to everybody. Like our definition, we can all use the same word and yet still our definition can be slightly different. To me, $200 might mean paying all of my utilities this month and to somebody else, $200 might mean just not, you know, not getting something extra for themselves that they like, like the, the, the very base level value of that money in our lives is going to be completely different. And it can be difficult to understand what that looks like for other people outside of our realm of experience. Like if that just means not buying an extra handbag for one person, but it means putting food on the table for the next two weeks for somebody else, obviously that $200 hasn't changed, but what it looks like in our life has. And it can be really, really hard to make that mental adjustment, especially when you haven't experienced anything outside of your own value system. So it makes a whole lot of sense. As we come up on, we're about 20 minutes from the end of the hour. I really want to call on friends in the audience today. I think before we can have any really meaningful conversation about how to get over a lot of these blocks and hurdles, we need to understand what they actually are. So if you have any difficulties around money that have not been discussed yet, and you're willing to come up and kind of expose those to the light today, we would really love to have you because the more we can open this stuff up and the more we can expose it, the easier it's going to be for people who maybe listen to this replay later on, or if they listen to the podcast, um, or maybe read the blogs that come about because of these conversations, then hopefully they will see what we are going through mirrored in their own experience and the solutions that we find will actually make sense to them. So if you are that person today, if you have any blocks around money, or if you have overcome any blocks around money in the past, we would really love for you to come up and share today what those are so we can get everything on the table. So please go ahead and raise your hand if you have anything you're willing to share, um, and we will pull you up. So I'm just going to be keeping an eye out for any hands that come up. Um, 
And while people are, are kind of determining whether or not they want to share, <laughs> I think it's also important to note that where those those money blocks are that you might not even see, right? They sort of become blinders. Um, how that pricing is set, and I realize this is sort of getting ahead of us a little bit, um, will determine, God, what's the best way to say this? Like, say your price point is at $200. You might be dismissed as being too expensive for some, but at $200, you might also be dismissed because you aren't priced high enough for somebody in a different tax bracket to value what it is that you're offering. So understanding that those, those value assessments and assumptions that are made by your audience are done both ways. Does that make sense? Isn't there a saying about that? Like the, the, the middle price or something is where businesses go to die. I don't know what the term was. Something like I that. I love it though. I don't know where it's from, but yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've heard that one. And yeah, Kat, it, it absolutely does make sense. And as you were explaining that, um, I was thinking about the fact that so many of these blocks and these difficulties come from the fact that we somehow tie morality to money as if money itself is a moral thing when it's not. It's literally just a tool. It is our decisions and our personal beliefs that make our behaviors around money moral. And so we, can, we kind of look at money as if it is this thing that stands on its own. And depending on what our belief system is, is going to affect what we believe about that money. Like if you were to see a stack of money on the table, um, you know, taking that money is going to feel different for everybody, depending on what they believe money represents. And if you grew up believing money is the root of all evil, which let's just be clear really quickly, that is actually not what the verse says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love that is the moral thing and not the money itself. Um, if we have these ideas about whether or not money is a moral thing on its own, then of course it's gonna become exponentially more difficult to deal with it in a way that feels good to us and to recognize the fact that other people out there will have a different relationship to money than we do. And so when you say, oh, nobody will spend that, you're making a moral judgment about a completely amoral transaction um, because you believe that people's beliefs about money mean that that is an unfair amount to ask for goods and services when there really is not such a thing as an unfair amount to ask for goods and services. Um, there is only, are you appealing to somebody whose value structure lies within what you're asking? So I think that's another important thing to come away with this, come away from this conversation with. I noticed that Sisala has joined us. So Sisala would love to hear what your thoughts are on money blocks, on beliefs about money that we should expose in order to be able to deal better with money. Do you have like five hours? Um, no, so I have plenty. Um, but one of the biggest one, and that was actually kind of prompted by Kat, um, is where my money blocks, one of them anyway, kind of got dissolved. Um, it was years ago. I started, um, I started out as a wedding photographer, who, like, just like a lot of other people. Um, and I charged what I thought was a lot of money back then. Um, just as you say, it is perception. It is based on where you are. And so I had these clients and they were good friends of mine or, well, not good friends. They were friends of mine. <laughs> and they, um, we sat down for the consultation. We talked and everything and they hired me and I charged like, I think four or 5,000 Danish kroners at the time, which again, I thought was a lot of money. Then afterwards, she comes up to me and she's like, Sisla, I just want to let you know that if you had charged any less than that, we wouldn't have hired you because that wouldn't have been a professional price. And that lesson was one of the biggest lessons that I've had in my career. Uh, and it still sits with me to this day. Um, 
especially coming from Denmark, which is a country that money, I mean, you're not supposed to have them, at least not more than the rest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's some of my money blocks. Fortunately, the currency is different. So I don't have American money blocks, really. I have a few, but may, I mean, you have Danish money blocks, um, but that's a whole different story. But yeah, my point is that charging too little can make you seem a certain way in certain people's eyes and charging what you're worth is one of the most important things to really um drill into people that you are professional professional and you deserve the money that you are charging basically absolutely and that just reinforces the the fact, as we're mentioning, you know, we have different definitions, even though we're using the same words. When I say $200, there are connotations in my head about what $200 means. When somebody else says $200, there are different connotations in their head. And for somebody to say, you know, this is what a professional rate is, and anything below that tells me that you're not equipped to handle this job, is a legitimate belief that people have about money. And recognizing the fact that we're all walking around looking at this tool from a different perspective. Um, I just had an analogy pop into my head, so I'm going to use it really quickly. Um, I look at a clawfoot hammer as a way to hang pictures on a wall. Like that's kind of the, the main use of that for me. When somebody else sees a clawfoot hammer, they see a tool to build a house. Um, when somebody else sees a, a clawfoot hammer, they may actually see an artistic instrument that they use when they create. Um, even though we're all looking at the same tool, we're each looking at it from a different perspective. And money is no different. When some people look at money, they're going to see the, the kind of object of desperation, right? This thing that I need in order to um, just continue living. And other people will see it as a tool for enjoyment. They have enough that they don't have to worry about meeting their needs. And so money becomes something that they uh, play the stock market with, or that they go on a trip with, or that they, you know, buy goods and services with. They're not necessarily seeing it as the same object of desperation. So coming to terms with the fact that everybody is looking at the same tool with a different set of eyes, I think is going to be a really big part of this process of helping us come to terms with the fact that not everybody sees money the same way we do. And for us to attach our moral standards to the tool as if it is an objective truth about the tool is, is a big hurdle we're going to have to jump. So I noticed MJ has also joined us. Hello, Miss Lady. would love to hear um, your thoughts about things that we need to expose about our money beliefs before. Oh, dang it. I love that you used the word expose. <laughs> that, does, that makes me want to go back. Can I go back down to the audience? Um, but I, one of the things I run into and kind of cycle through is holding on to that money once I get it and, um, how I, I hold on to things I've learned and grown up with on how to handle money. Like I had one grandparent that would always say, you know, we don't have a lot of money like your other grandparents to, to spend money on you. And they were, um, very tight with money and it was very much a thing that they were envious of or uh, would talk would definitely talk about it and then the other family were all about money there's plenty of money money's coming in um, and but they would spend it uh, like as an outlet to you know like to to as a fix to feed feelings I'm not sure how to to put that into words. Um, My parents would say they're trying to buy your love, right? Yeah. Well, and then also like if, if they're having a hard day, like it would be, they'd go spend money to fix it. Like instead of working through a problem, let's go buy something and get that, that feeling. And now we have stuff. And so we'll feel better about it. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So yeah, that's a why lot retail therapy. It is. Yes. Retail therapy. Exactly. And um, it can have its place, but it was used to an extreme and they ended up um, like losing their house. So I always both grandparents did. They had their dream houses at one point and then they ended up losing them. Um, and I so I and I grew up thinking I don't that shouldn't be it. I really want to find people that don't like make it. And then 
lose it. And that's one of the issues I run into is getting money and how to value it and hold on to it um, in my business, but also understanding the balance, the balance between um, like investing back in the business and investing in education or equipment and, and, and like debt, debt um, to like capital gains. Um, so though that's what I, I, that may not be the direction you're going. That's just one of my money blocks personally. No, that's absolutely fantastic. And thank you for sharing it because I know um, when we talk about money, it can be, these are issues that can be really close to our heart. Um, and particularly our experiences growing up and we kind of grab and hold on to these things. And I absolutely suffer. I'm fighting that challenge the same way. Um, uh, growing up poor and then getting to a place where um, my husband and I have made ourselves relatively financially comfortable, at least compared to what my frame of reference was as a child when we finally had money put away in savings, a decent amount of money put away in savings, my ultimate fear was losing that money. Like in any time we had to dip into that savings for something, even though it was all legitimate things, like somebody hit my car and we had to replace the car. Um, you know, even though it was all legitimate things, there's always this, oh my God, I'm seeing the balance go down and oh no, what now? And I just want to clutch it like, with my fingers very de desperately and hold it so that it doesn't go away. But that too is a dangerous way to treat money. So that is certainly something that we need to look at as we talk about how we get over these hurdles. So if you're just joining us today, we have been talking about the blocks that we have with money, the ideas and beliefs that we have around money that are holding us back from treating it like the tool that it is in order to live the life and have the kind of artistic businesses we want to have. So we're just exposing these issues so that we can deal with them in the upcoming weeks and really get everything out on the table. Um, Ari, I know that you have a lot of passion around this subject, so would love to hear what your thoughts are and then we'll kind of wrap everything up to prepare. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna go down the rabbit hole, um, don't worry, but, um, you know, I guess one thing I just want to throw out there is that and it's come up in a couple of different ways in different people's statements. So I just want to throw this out because I think it might help the conversation, you know, through the week is to differentiate the difference between spending money and it's gone. Like, let's say you go and buy an expensive meal, you eat the meal, the meal's gone versus using money and getting an asset in return. Meaning when you buy a piece of art, you're not really that 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 value that you spend on that art still exists. You may be overspending. It may not be worth as much. Same thing with the car. You, you buy an expensive car. Um, yes, the value goes down the minute you drive it off the lot, but there's still value there. And the biggest thing that people I find struggle with is when talking about, especially talking about debt, is in terms of buying a house because when you buy a house a lot of people will say oh my gosh i'm going to be you know in debt for the rest of my life but what you have to realize or, or keep in mind and this is sort of the framework that i'm trying to propose um is that you're acquiring an asset as well and assuming that you're not dramatically overpaying for that house the asset matches up with the debt and so it's important to just differentiate between um you know spending money for your own you know pleasure benefit lifestyle uh every day versus transferring your money into a different asset class than just cash or you know a simple stock fund or something like that and i think that that can help people a little bit think about um you know, some of these barriers that, that have come up today, because, um, you know, even just to pick on, I, I know you didn't mean it in a, in a way that I'm going to bring it up, but even just saying playing in the stock market, well, if you go and buy an individual stock or you buy something very speculative or, a, you know, a single biotech stock that's based on the 
introduction of one drug being successful or something like that, that could be playing the stock market and, in a sense, gambling. Not much different than just, you know, throwing the money on the on a black or red and a roulette table. But if you take your cash and you put it into, let's say, an index fund that represents 5,000 stocks or something like that, all, it's, all that you're doing there is just transferring it to a different asset class. And you still have that money. And so I just, I just want to sort of help set the stage in terms of the discussion going forward, because the, to me, there's a huge difference. And, I, you know, my background is um, my grandparents were children in the Depression. Um, my grandfather, you know, started working when his father died at 13, um, when, my father, when my grandfather was 13. And, you know, he was a child of Depression, and, and that influenced him. And he would never, even though he was very successful, never spent with one except with the exception of his one car he bought in 79 um he never spent a penny on himself and you know obviously we have all these things that that we carry with us that these different um cultural issues and and what have you that that filter how we look at things but i guess i just wanted to throw out the idea of the difference between you know a consumable or a luxury versus um spending money on an asset that still will retain its value. And I think maybe if we think of it in sort of those types of terms, it helps, you know, with the discussion overall. I hope that's helpful. This is Aria. That's super interesting, Aria. And actually something I've been kind of musing on is um, we've had these multiple conversations now with people mentioning, you know, growing up without a lot of money. Um, so my, my partner, my husband, um, also, he, he grew up very poor and uh, he has a very different approach to money where once he was an adult and working and had his own money, he liked to spend it immediately on those consumable things because it was going to be gone. Someone was going to spend it. So he might as well spend it on things that made him happy um, before it disappeared into something else, uh, which is very different than the more like dragon in your hoard and like hoping that not a cent gets lost and you know then it's gone forever mentality that I know I personally uh, started out with and you know still kind of fight with myself um but it's you know that was something we disagreed a lot on when we were first dating and we've now reached a much more healthy approach where we are looking at things as liquid and finding that value in assets like you mentioned and it has made our lives so much better to look at money as a kind of fluid that can grow and ebb and you know everything and um come and go and you know investing intelligently instead of just spending hedonistically so 100 percent. i think it's also important to note the verbiage that Ari's using and that the expectation is that everyone knows what you're saying when you say things like assets and invest and even Becca like money being fluid there was a time in my life where all of that sounded like a foreign language to me so I a lot like your husband, Becca, would simply spend because I knew if I didn't and I tried to keep it, that it would go somewhere else. It would have to go to a bill or some unexpected payment. So if I was ever going to earn any money, then I had to go ahead and spend what I had because I didn't know any other way, right? Like, and understanding that, you know, investment is a language and educating yourself around what that means. Like, what the hell is a hedge fund? You know, like, that kind of thing that you hear in financial speak, but you don't know what any of it means, the sooner you can wrap your head around educating yourself around what these things are, the sooner you'll be able to sort of empower yourself into leveraging your cash in a way that is in your best interest and the best interest of your there's been so much good stuff said by the three of you guys. And I really want to touch on a couple things before I tie everything up for the day. And one is, Ari, I'm actually really glad you noticed the fact that I used the term playing when I mentioned the stock market. And the reason that I use that word specifically is because when I was younger and the people that I grew up around, we did not recognize investment in the way that you are 
talking about it now and the way that I understand it now as an adult, the fact that the value, so if, if we look at money merely as a representation of value, it remains valuable, whether it is in a, you know, let's say we'll use Becca's analogy of liquid. The liquid remains a liquid, whether it is in an ice cube, in a bucket, or in several cups, right? It is still liquid. The value of the money still exists if you are investing it in a stock, if you are buying property, et cetera, et cetera. These things have value. The money is just a representation of the value. So when I was younger, what we understood about people playing the stock market was that was where rich people played roulette with their money, right? Like that was where people played uh, the slots. It was like going to Vegas and only really rich people who had money to spare could do that kind of thing. And so we did absolutely look at it as playing. It wasn't like sound investment strategy. It was they can do this to get even more money than they already have because they have all this extra money to play with. And so our, our base level understanding of what money is was just wrongheaded. And that's why these conversations are so important. And that's why the conversations around financial literacy are so important because the less educated we are about the way that money really behaves in the economy, the less capable we are of taking advantage of it, of speaking that language, like you mentioned, Kat, and being able to use our money in ways that are going to keep us where we want to be and not form a rope that we're desperately hanging on to as we're sliding down into the pit, right? Like that is the greatest fear is ending up back in that place. So that's a big reason of why I wanted to begin our conversations about business with what our beliefs are about money. Because if we don't have this stuff straight, that is going to manifest itself later on in how we handle our business. That is going to show up when we start trying to sell our goods and services, when we don't get what we think we should be having or when we are not receiving enough and we look at our bank accounts and we go, I had so much business this month, why am I still struggling? How come I can't put away money? How come I don't have savings? All of those things. That stuff will manifest itself later on in our business if we don't have our head in the right place now. So what I would love to see from you guys today in the Facebook group, if you have links, if you have uh, material that you know of, anything that can help people start to like increase their financial literacy, share those links, share those services, whatever they are, people can choose what they pay attention to. So if it is something even um, that you sell or that somebody else sells, don't worry about that. We're going on the assumption here that everybody is intelligent adults and they can, adults and they can make their own decisions. Um, share those links. Let's just pile together as much information as we can so folks know where to look. Because for a long time, I didn't even realize that I didn't know this stuff. Like, as I was in my early 20s even, I didn't know that there was an entire language and an entire, like, I was holding on to the elephant's tail thinking I knew what an elephant was. And we need the most information we can get. So let's use the Facebook group today to kind of just put as much together as we can. So today we spent time exposing a lot of the wrong beliefs, or I should say the limiting beliefs, not wrong beliefs, a lot of the limiting beliefs that we have about money, a lot of our misunderstandings about money, and the things that are stopping us from really having the kind of businesses that we enjoy, that help us lead the kind of life we want to live, that allow us to be abundant. Let me be really clear we're not getting into woo-woo here about money. I'm not going to start talking about vibrations and other things like that, um, even though I believe that there is some science that backs some of that stuff up. That's not what we're talking about here. We're literally talking about how we define terms and how we understand an, a system that many of us don't actually understand. There are people out there who do. They're able to walk into the system and take advantage of it. I was not that person. So I'm gonna go on the assumption that many of us still have some of these beliefs. We exposed those today. We shared some of the things that have stopped us from having the kind of business, from making the income, et cetera, that we've wanted to. Even things that are related specifically to us as artists, things that artists struggle with, 
where money is concerned. For the rest of the week, we are really gonna tackle those limiting beliefs. We're gonna talk about how we overcome them and we're gonna share how we can become more financially literate. That way, when we get into the rest of the discussions on business, we have a really solid foundation because business is all about exchanging value, adding value to someone's life that they in turn are willing to pay back to you. So we have to have a solid foundation before we get into those discussions, how we structure our businesses. Are we gonna become sole proprietors? Are we LLCs? Do we need to become an LLC um, for any good reasons? What should we be doing with the money that our business earns? How much, what percentage of that should we be getting paid? What should be going towards marketing? What should be going towards um, increasing education? How do we structure how people pay us? Are we doing things that are a la carte? Are we selling packages? Are we selling individual prints? Like what do we do in order to build the kind of business we want to run that gives us a life we want to live? So if you wanna be here for that, if you believe that you know folks who need to be part of this conversation, please invite them to come be here in the morning with us or remind everybody that there are replays on so they can come to the Artist Forge Clubhouse, get into these replays. We are also working on building these for podcasting so folks who are not using Clubhouse also have access to these talks. And as I mentioned before, if you go to the link up at the top, all of the mentors of the Artist Forge have agreed to five mentor sessions apiece with all of that income going back into the Artist Forge in order to build more resources for everybody who joins us here so we can continue to grow the proper mindsets that we need to become the artists we want to be and have the careers we want to have. So I'm really excited for these conversation, guys. I wish that I had access to this stuff when I was younger because I think my life would look really different and my business certainly would be very different than it is now. So I hope you will come ready to have these conversations and we will see you bright and early tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, that is 6 a.m. for the West Coast, 9 a.m. for the East Coast, afternoon for our friends overseas. In the meantime, until tomorrow morning, go make something amazing. Make sure you share those links in the Facebook group, The Artist Forge on Facebook. It is private, so if you're not in there, give us that in um, request and we will let you in. Go have an amazing day, guys. We'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at The Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.